We're going to go right into the word of the Lord this morning. I'm in a series called Let There Be Joy. How many know we need joy? And the good news is it's not a seasonal blessing. Joy is something that belongs to the righteous. And I want to talk about that today. I want you to go to John chapter 15, verse number 1. And I want to talk about living full, living full. How many want to be full of joy? Can you, can you please catch this? There are measures of joy that are available to the people of God. And I believe his intention is that you walk in the great measure of fullness. And religion will tell you that just half a tank of joy is sufficient. But I don't want to live with half a tank of joy if Jesus told me I could live full of joy. And I want us to live full of joy. And there's something in this that I, the Lord showed me this week. I have never seen this personally. Maybe you have and I celebrate it if you have. This rocked my world and it changed my life. It really, it literally spoke to me in a very profound way. And I can't wait to share that with you from this text today. Um, and it's part of the message that I'm going to preach. But today I want to talk about living full. Don't settle living half. Let's decide today we're going to live full. Amen? John chapter 15, verse 1. Before I get into the word, we need to give honor where it is due. My dear friends, Kevin and Amy McGlamory, pastors from Huntsville, are here. Would you help me welcome them? Wave your hand so they know who they're. These are amazing leaders in the kingdom. Tell them good morning and welcome them from redemption to the nations. Love them, and we're grateful they're here today. All right, let's buckle up and run for this. John chapter 15, verse number 1. Jesus said, I am the vine, the true vine. Say true vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Underline that phrase, he takes away. You might have a translation that says he cuts it back or he... He removes it, just underline that, and I'm going to show you why in a minute. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do no thing. No thing. Say nothing. That's a powerful word because it is an all-encompassing word, but how many would agree that it is true Apart from Jesus, we can do no thing. Mm. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and withered, and they will gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this... Is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit? Mm. So you will be my disciples, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. 
And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken, this is it, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. If he wanted to tell us, I want you to live with a limited measure of joy, this was the opportunity. But he doesn't say, I'm going to give you a, a hindered measure of joy or a little measure of joy. He said, I'm speaking things to you so that your joy will be full. How many want to live full of joy? If you want that in your life, I want you to open up your hands to heaven right now and just open your mouth and let's make that our prayer as we jump into the word. Lord, today I'm asking you to let us live lives that are full of your joy. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The New Testament begins with four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these Gospels are inspired writings that reveal the ministry that Jesus had while he was on earth. The birth, the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the second coming. These are components of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we read these Gospels, we recognize that none of the Gospels, not one of them, are a comprehensive biography of the life of Jesus. Instead, each Gospel offers a different glimpse and a picture, or a portrait, as it were, of the person of Jesus. Of the four Gospels, three of them, namely Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means that they follow the same timeline and the traditional order of events of the life of Jesus. Synoptic means that they cover many of the same miracles. They contain the same parables, the events of Jesus' life and ministry. And when you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you will often find repetition in them, even some parallel passages that are almost identical because generally speaking, the synoptic gospels tell us what Jesus said and what Jesus did in a chronological, orderly fashion. But the Gospel of John is beautifully unique. It does not follow the typical narrational flow found in the synoptic Gospels. John is less interested in following a timeline about Jesus' life, and he is more interested in making sure that he properly introduces the person of Jesus to you and I. It is fitting that John would be the writer who most clearly reveals who Jesus is because no one got to know Jesus as closely as John did. There were the 5,000 that could testify of how he multiplied the fish and how he multiplied the loaves. There are the 70 who could tell you what it was like when he sent them into the city to preach the gospel. There are the 12 a number of who were fishermen, some tax collectors, other political activists that Jesus called his own disciples. And then there were the three 
that he called to the top of a mountain called Transfiguration. And there they saw Jesus glowing in the dark. And they saw Moses and Elijah and they heard the Father speaking. Then there is the one. There's only one who got close enough to Jesus. that The Bible said John laid his head on the breast of the Savior. And when you get that close to someone, you know them beyond the miracles. You know them beyond the ministry. And you begin to know Jesus by the content of his heart that is bursting out of his being. And this is how John knew Jesus because he got so close to him. And on a number of occasions, John the Revelator, how many have ever ever heard him called John the Revelator? That's what the old saints used to call him. He's the Revelator because he gives the revelation of who Jesus is. And the reason he has the revelation of who Jesus is is because he knew him personally. I don't know about you, but there's something powerful about knowing him personally personally. There's something that is far deeper than just a a, a gnosis, a knowledge, a book knowledge of who he is. There's something powerful about when you've heard his voice, even seeing those eyes of fire, and you've gotten close enough to the master to hear the heartbeat of the Lord. And John, the revelator, uh, knows him like this, and on a number of occasions, John becomes the vessel that used, that Jesus used to reveal himself to the world. John doesn't complicate it. John doesn't add unnecessary words. John writes it like Jesus said it. And seven times in the gospel of John alone, John records Jesus as saying, I am. Hmm. You'll find this only in John, but in John's gospel, the sixth chapter, John writes that Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the door. In John 10, 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then here in John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Everyone say true vine. Now, this is interesting because this is not the first time that, that, that the word vine or the, the allegory and imagery of a vine is used in the Bible. In fact, Jesus is intentionally drawing the parallel between his life and this issue of the vine because uh, if you look back through the Old Testament, Israel of old was supposed to be the vine but had disappointed God according to Isaiah chapter 5 verses 1 through 7, Israel was supposed to be the vine that brought forth good fruit. But because Israel had turned from God, the Bible said in Isaiah 5, her grapes had become sour. Israel was supposed to be the nation that demonstrated and exemplified the goodness of God and the love of God. But she turned her back on God and the grapes on her vine became bitter. They became sour. And Jesus understanding that the religious culture had let down the heart of the Father, he steps into this place of connection with God and he says, you you, you should have had relationships with God but Israel blew that but I am the true vine 
I am the vine that did not disappoint the Father. I'm going somewhere. Hang on to me. I'm the vine that stayed obedient to the word of the Father. I'm the vine that got the job done. I'm the true vine. And if you want to experience true life, you got to get connected to the true vine. Now, this is interesting. Uh, in this text in John 15, if you're taking notes, write this down. This particular text in John 15 is the pinnacle and the peak of what theologians call the farewell discourse. And the farewell discourse begins in John chapter 13 and runs through John chapter 17. Five chapters in which we get the farewell discourse of Jesus. It's what we would call the final words. David gave final words. Moses gave final words. And here Jesus is getting ready to go to Calvary and five whole chapters of him sitting down and pouring out the content of his heart. And he begins to tell those disciples whose feet he washed and he had taken the Lord's Supper with them. He begins to give them his final words and what he says in these five chapters between John 13 and John 17 is amazing in light of the fact that he says it in the shadow of Calvary. While he is talking to them in chapter 13 through 17, Judas is on his way to betray him. While he is talking to his disciples in chapter 13 through chapter 17, they are preparing the hill on which he will die. While he is talking to his disciples, they are, they are preparing to beat him and to put him on a cross. And you might see him in the shadow of this cross and expect him to talk about agony. And you might expect him to talk about defeat. But I want you to look at what Jesus said in the 15th chapter. He's getting ready to go and die. And while he's on his way to a cross, he does not speak about defeat. He does not speak about how hopeless he is. The Bible actually said that he had joy and he wanted to make sure before he went to Calvary that his disciples knew how to keep their joy full. That don't sound like some dead king to me. That don't sound like some king that has no future to me. You know, sometimes people want us to think that Jesus is some weak coward that was beaten mercilessly and they took advantage of him and he was a confused spiritual guru. Maybe I want you to understand that at any moment in the process of dying, he could have called 10,000 angels to come and take him off that cross and to rescue him from Rome, but he stayed there and when I think about Jesus talking about joy in the shadow of the cross I'm reminded of what the writer of Hebrews said in the 12th chapter the second verse looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the come on family joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised its shame, and sat down on the right hand of God. Now break that down and think about that for just a moment. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, the man who for the joy that was set out in front of him endured the cross. How can you or let me ask it better. Why would you endure a cross that you had the power to avoid? 
Y'all missed it. Why would you go through something you actually have the power to avoid? I'll tell you why. Because you saw something up ahead that made the cross worth it. The joy is not something you get on Sunday after the tomb is empty. Jesus had joy on the way to Calvary because he knew how the story was going to end. This is crazy. That on the way to the battlefield of Golgotha, on the way to Gethsemane, where his tears and sweat become drops of blood, the Bible said Jesus had joy in the shadow of the cross. And what I find amazing about this is that he had joy because he was certain about how Calvary would end up. I used to think uncertainty was a sign of spiritual depth. I'm telling you a part of my journey. I used to think I was more humble, more humble if I didn't know how it was going to turn out. And so I lived my whole life like this. I might, I might win, I might not win. I might overcome, I might not overcome. I might survive, I might not survive. Family, there is no joy in uncertainty. And you are not more spiritual because you don't act like you know how it's going to end. God actually allows you and I to go through things in incremental increase of pressure so that we begin to develop a trust in his track record. God wants you to know, listen, he wants you to know certainly how this is going to end. If you sit here this morning and you are not certain that you are going to win, you can't have fullness of joy. Because as long as there is a question in your mind, I'm about to preach right here, that you're going to make it. As long as there is a question in your mind that God doesn't answer prayer, as long as there is a question in your mind that he's not good, you will sit here in uncertainty and you will never possess full joy. But Jesus could look at Calvary and embrace the cross because he knew as the joy that was set before him that no matter what happened between Friday and Sunday, there is coming a thing called resurrection oh Lord Jesus and this tomb will not be the end of me I just want to make sure everyone knows in this room this morning God wants you to trust him and believe that it's going to work out in your favor in the end that is not TBN talk that is not just me giving you a cliche it is how do I know because Paul said all things we don't think we we don't wonder we are persuaded and we know that all things work together for the good to them that love the Lord you gotta know this when the doctor walks in and says I have bad news the first thing we do is the feeling of fear rises but if you'll sit there long enough the Spirit of God will begin to speak and God will begin to talk and something begins to happen when we begin to believe in the goodness of God. 
I want you to know today, you should have certainty when you think about your future. Does that mean you know everything about your future? No. How many believe you know every detail about your future? If you lift your hand, you're a weirdo. Come on. No one in the building knows everything there is to know about their future. The beautiful thing about faith is we don't have to know the details to know that we have a destiny. And although you may not have the details, you believe in a God who knows how to work everything together for your good. This is why Jesus didn't avoid the cross. He endured it. Because he was persuaded. Watch the joy that was set before him. If I'm going to get to what's before me, I got to go through what's between me and the joy set before me. But, but when I go through what's in front of me, between me and joy, I've got to remember and believe that what I'm getting ready to go through doesn't have the power to keep me from the joy that is set that's why you can make it through some stuff that other people couldn't make it through because you recognize that on the other side of the fire, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there is a promotion coming that you never would have inherited had you not gone through the fire. It's not that God keeps us from it. It's that God gets in it with us and walks with us through it. And when we come out on the other side, we come into a place of promotion that never would have been ours had we not gone through it. Look at your neighbor tell him, endure it. Endure it. Don't give up. Endure it. Because you've got a promise it's going to work out. Doesn't mean God will keep you from it, but you will go through it and you will come into something that you never would have inherited had it not been for the faithfulness you demonstrated while walking through the fire. Now, that's just an introduction. I wanted to say that and get that off my chest. I want you to look at what verse 11 says, and I'm hurrying. I really am almost through. Verse 11 says, Jesus told them, I want my joy to remain in you. Now, everybody look up here and listen real, real carefully. Listen to what he said. He does not say, I want you to have your joy. This is, this is incredibly important. The joy he promised us is the joy that is his that he shares with us as we are in fellowship with him. <laughs> Why did he have joy and they didn't? Why is it his joy and not theirs? It's his joy because he's the only one in the group who saw the future. He actually knew he was going to win, and they couldn't understand why he was saying stuff like, I'm getting ready to leave you, but I'll be back. They're like, hold on, where are you going? He knew what was going to happen. How do I know he knew? Because he told them three or four times in the Gospels, no man takes my life. I lay it down. And if I lay it down, I've got the power to pick it up again. 
you go ahead, you go ahead and tear this temple down in three days, God will build it back up again. He knew what was coming, even though he had to go through the cross. He knew he was going to win the victory, which is why he had joy. They couldn't see the victory. So what he did is, he said, I've got joy, guys. I'm going to be all right. But because you don't understand this, I'm going to share my joy with you. Any joy you have in this life comes to you because you share it. Pardon me. He shares it with you through intimate communion and fellowship. Which is why he says, abide in me. If you get outside of me, you're not going to have joy. There are too many unknown things out there. There are too many weird things. I almost said weird people. There are some sketchy folk. There are some haters and, and there are some people that are assigned to try to hinder and there are some spirits that will try to raise up again, rise up against you and there's some stuff in your future that feels uncertain and you won't have joy unless you stay in fellowship with the one who is already at the end, has walked through it all, knows the, knows the end from the beginning. Listen, there's a reason why I want to stay in fellowship with Jesus. He he knows how this thing is going to end and as long as I stay in him I get to be a beneficiary of his joy does that make sense you don't know it all Jesus does and this is the beautiful thing about the love of Jesus he will share his joy with his friends The next time somebody asks you, who do you think you are? Look at your watch and say, how much time do you have? Come on, I'm a friend of God. Because you're a friend of God, he's willing to share joy with you. Why? He knows how the end of this is going to be. You don't have to wake up every morning wondering if you're going to make it. Stay in fellowship with the God who already seen you make it. Y'all miss what I just said. Do you really think God is up in heaven wondering if you're going to make it? He knows you're going to make it, which is why you've got to shake off the fear and shake off the doubt and shake off the worry, and you've got to have confidence that he, oh, I felt that, who has begun a good work in you will be faithful to finish what he started. He didn't say I wouldn't go through something. He just said that I wouldn't be ended in it. He didn't say I wouldn't go through the water. He just said it wouldn't overtake me. He never promised there wouldn't be a fire. He just said not one hair on my head will be singed. Somebody give him a praise because you know he knows how it's going to work out. Now watch this. True joy that is experienced in this life is joy that belongs to Jesus that he shares with you and I. That is why I say there is no joy outside of Jesus. And the way that we experience true joy, he gives us the secret here. In John 15, if you want to know the secret of abiding in full joy, it is right here. I'm the vine. The Father is the vine dresser. 
you are the branches. Seven times in these 11 verses, he uses the word abide. Abide takes some time. More than Sunday morning from 10 till 12. And that's if we're lucky. Abide is a connection of love that is present because it is your entire identity. Do you understand this? I don't abide um, when I feel spiritual and disconnect when I feel unspiritual. I'm in him when I'm talking in tongues and I'm in him when bad things cross my mind on the interstate because people who can't drive And some of y'all acting so holy right now. <laughs> abide. Say abide. God wants us to recognize a relationship of abiding is not a temporary visit. It is not a matter of convenience. And I don't have to get up every morning and try to be a Christian. I love him because he first loved me. And out of that love relationship, I am becoming who he's called me to be. Even though I'm not there yet, he calls me what I'm going to be while I'm on my way to it. I don't look at Tobin and say, you have to love him. I love Tobin in the Lord because the Lord put love for people in my heart. The fruit of the Spirit, not the product of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, have you ever looked at a seed that was an apple seed and said, grow apples! You don't put an apple seed in a machine that makes it produce apples. It produces after its own kind. You don't bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because someone's standing on top of you threatening your life if you don't. You bear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control because you are connected to the one who is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. I don't have to try to produce it. I just have to live in him and he lives through me. And we make this about religious catechism. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And you get there. Some point in my life, I got sick of running on their religious treadmill. I got tired of hanging around, nothing to do but frown. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. At some point, I, learn, I learned a secret. I am secure because I am connected to the v 
vine of life. And on my good days when I feel victorious, it is his goodness flowing in my life that makes me feel victorious. And on my bad days when I feel like a defeated nobody, I lift up my eyes and be, I am reminded that on my worst day, he still loves me. He's still in my corner and he still sees me in the image and being conformed into the image of his dear son. This is not like this with God. Are you suggesting you believe in once saved, always saved? I'm telling you, I believe in eternal security in Jesus. Get out of him. I can't talk to you about your future if you get out of him. You stay in Jesus, I can tell you it's all going to work out all right. My, my whole life, I, I was raised in an environment of eternal insecurity. I got saved every Wednesday. I did. I got saved every single Wednesday night. They beat me into submission. Go down to the altar. Jesus, I need you. Wham! Sister Yay Yay, wham! Get him, Lord! Brother Flip Flop. <laughs> I got a revelation. He wants me to make it more than I want to make it. He wants me to win more than I want to win. He wants me to overcome more than my own desire for me to overcome. He didn't walk up a hill and die on a cross just to try it out to see if I'd make it. He walked up a hill. He paid the price. He died on the cross and rose from the dead because he saw a day that a young boy would call on his name and would trust him as Lord. And today I am what I am by his grace. And so are you. This is crazy. I'm done. I'm wrapping up. If you stay in him. Now watch this. Verse 11 says, these things I have said to you, I say, so that my joy may remain in you and your joy will be full. Say these things. He said, so that our joy, come on, may be full. What things did he say so that our joy could be full? I'm getting ready to tell you. Verse 1 through 10 is what he said to keep joy in a full place in our lives. And this is what God showed me this week. And, and maybe this is not revolutionary or revelation to you, but it was to me. The branches that abide in him are connected to him for the purpose, watch, of bearing much fruit. Much fruit. So all the religious people who like a little bit of fruit, just enough fruit to know that you're saved, we're over you. We are over you. We are tired of crumbs. We are over you. We want everything Jesus promised us. You don't have to like it, and I am, I, listen, our hunger for more fruit may get on your little religious nerves, but we want all of the pie. We want all of the vine. We want everything he has, not because we're greedy, but because we don't want one ounce of our being to be void of the life of Jesus. We want to be filled with him. So, the things he said, 
that would ensure they kept their joy full. Seven times he says, abide in me. Then he says two things to the branches who abide in him. Two things. Please take these notes. Number one, he said, branches in me, verse 2, I'm in verse 2. This is in your Bible. Branches in me that do not bear fruit. How many have a New King James Bible? It said he takes away. Put that up on the screen, Chad, if you would. He takes away. You can put that up on the screen. See that? Branches in me. Let me teach. I've been wanting to teach. I feel like a teacher today. I'm going to use technology. I'm feeling culturally relevant. Glory to God. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Everybody see that? Okay. My whole life, I was taught that if you're in Jesus but you don't bring fruit, he's getting ready to, he's getting ready to cut you off. And he's getting ready to take you out. Bam! And we walked around terrified. I did. Terrified of God. But I want to offer you something that I found in study this week that brought revolutionary, a revolutionary mindset to my life. And I don't know why I do this, but I like just going sometimes to look into the, the depth of the, the Greek that the original text was written in because sometimes you'll find something in there that the translators did not quite catch. Or are you saying you're a better translator than the, no, I'm not saying I'm better, I just got the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost knows stuff that some people don't know. Come on, somebody. The word takes away is one Greek word. If you're taking notes, write this down. This is huge. The word takes away in the English is one word in the Greek. It's aro, A-I-R-O. You can check all this out later when you get to your house. Aro is used many times in the New Testament. In Matthew 16, 24, in Mark 16, verse 18, in Luke 5, 24, in Luke 17, 13, I could go on. John 5, 8, John 11, 41, Acts 4, 24, Revelation 10, 5. In all those places and more, the word Iro translates, watch, to the phrase lift up. I'm not making this up. You need to go study this. But as your pastor that is required to search out the matter and to hear the heart of the Father on the matter, I began to, to look at this this week, and as I studied this, and I saw this arrow literally in many places in the New Testament is translated lift up. As I found out that it could mean and does mean in many places lift up, not take away, I then began to study how vine dressers help branches that are not bearing fruit. And in the days of Israel, when vine dressers did not get fruit out of branches that were connected to the vine, they did not chop them off yet without first attaching the dead vine, the dead branch, to a trellis. Has, has anybody ever seen one of those iron trellis? in your neighbor or your family's house and vines are growing up over the trellis? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you are like, I don't have a clue. I didn't either till this morning. And Chris started telling me what a trellis was because you know Chris. <laughs> he got so many trellises in his yard. I'm just kidding. <laughs> a trellis is what they lift up a dead branch 
they lay it and attach it to a trellis because a dead branch is usually dead because it's laying so low that light can't get to it. I want you to go search this out because I feel some doubters in the room that think I'm creating something here. I am telling you what I found this week set me free. When God sees somebody in his kingdom that is not bearing fruit, he doesn't, he doesn't cut them off and get rid of them immediately. No. He said, oh, you need some more light. Let me lift you up. That's what the word Iro means in the Greek. It means to lift up. It's not let me cut you away. It's let me lift you up so that the light can hit all of you. I want my light to touch all of your life. You've got too much potential to be laying down on the ground. And where is the organ player at? You've got too much potential to be laying down on the ground with no buds and no blossom and no fruit on your branch. You are supposed to bear fruit and if you're not let me lift you up a little bit and let me shine some light on your soul I want to bring you out of darkness into my marvelous light so that you can bring forth much fruit I just felt like God wanted me to tell you he ain't through with you yet and if you look at your life and you don't feel very fruitful He's not getting ready to cut you off. He's getting ready to lift you up. Your ladder will be greater than the rest. You will be blessed more than you could ask. Despite all that has been done, your best is yet to come. And your ladder will be greater your ladder will be greater. The ladder will be greater than your past. Somebody feels hopeless and fruitless and like you have no future. And the enemy's been telling you, you're cut off. But I break the power of the lie of the enemy off your life. God is about to lift you up. Like the vine dresser put the dead branch on the trellis. He attached it to the trellis and lifted it up so that light could get to it and it could flourish and grow and bear fruit. Now watch this. If you don't have any fruit, you need to be lifted up so that the light can touch. But then there are some people in the room who bear some fruit. You got some fruit. Some love, some joy, some peace, some patience, not much, but some. Some kindness until you read Twitter. Some self-control until you pass the flashing red lights at Krispy Kreme. You got some fruit. And God says, as the vine dresser, don't miss this. If you got some fruit, I love you so much and have such confidence in your potential to bear more fruit that I'm going to prune you. And he made sure to let them know it's a pruning because pruning involves pain. And sometimes when you feel pain, if you're not sure of what's going on, you can interpret the pain as being cut off. But the pruning is not a disconnection from the vine. 
It is a separation of that which has more potential. God is actually separating things away from your life to create room for that place of potential in you to produce more. That's why some of you don't have the same friends you did to today that you did five months ago. And that's why some of you have some friends today you won't have five months from now. Because when God starts pruning you, he separates things away that look okay and were okay for a season. But if they hinder the increase of fruit, God will cut that thing off the branch. Listen, some people in this room today are going through some pain. The pain should not be interpreted as cutting away from the vine. It's simply God preparing you for increase. How many would like a season of increase in their life? Of joy, peace, patience. Come on, don't lie. If you want to increase, lift your hand. Well, if you lifted your hand, you just invited the pruning. So everybody's like... I don't want no pruning. And the fact is we don't, we don't like pruning. No one walks into the pruning shop and be like, cut away! Nobody does that. Because pruning hurts. But if God ever prunes and hurts, he also heals and restores And I want you to know that if you've come through a pruning season lately and you felt like some stuff got cut away and you just got closer to God and you pushed into him a little more, I want you to know that that is going to pay dividends in the fruit-bearing category of your life. You are going to bring forth much fruit after this pruning. What's the key, Pastor? One word. Abide. Stay in fellowship with Jesus. What does abide mean? If you could sum it up in a phrase, what does abide mean? Ready for this? It means to love God. Because if you really love him, all these lists of do's and don'ts are irrelevant. Why? Because, because our, our ethos and our, and, and, and our behavior doesn't matter? No, because if you love him first with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you won't have to have a list of do's and don'ts at the back door to tell you how to live. If you really love him, you don't want to hurt him. Holiness is not. Let's see how carnal we can be and still get away with being saved. <laughs> I'm meddling now, ain't I? Holiness is, I have a dove resting on my shoulder. And I don't want to do anything that would cause the dove of the Holy Ghost to fly away. Just sit there for a moment. Close your eyes. Let me talk to you. You're in this room today and you say, Pastor Kevin, I need Jesus to save me. I, I, I've been to church. Maybe you've never been to church. Maybe you've known the Lord. Maybe you've never known the Lord. But if you took an inventory of your heart right now, you know it's not abiding in Jesus. I mean, you are not in fellowship with the Lord. You're not walking in faith. You're not living uh, as, with him as the Lord of your life. You're not walking in love. And, and, and you know that, and you want that to change today. You want to give him your heart. 
I want you to lift your hand when I say three. And when you lift your hand, what you're just saying is, Pastor Kevin, would you please pray for me? I need to give my heart and my life to Jesus, and I want to abide in him. I don't just want to visit him. I want to abide in him. I want him to abide in me. I want his words to abide in me. I want him to be the Lord of my life. Would you pray? I cannot leave in the way that I came today. I need Jesus to save me. I want to be grafted in. I want to be connected to the vine, the true vine, Jesus Christ. If I'm talking to you, I'm going to count to three for you. And when I say three, if you want to give your heart totally to God, today is the day. And maybe you're watching online and you can let us know there too. I'm, I'm just giving my heart to Jesus. Just type in the word saved. We'll reach back out to you. We want to know who we're praying for. If you're in this room or online, I'm counting to three. And when I say three, if you know God is touching your heart and you're convicted of your sin and you need to get your life right with God, when I say three, lift your hand. One, two, three, right now. Yes, I see your hand. God bless you. 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 Everyone can put your hand down. If you're in this room today, and you would say, Pastor Kevin, you preached to me today. My, I need my joy to be increased. I want my joy to, to be full. But I recognize a couple of things. Number one, I need to be lifted. Somebody needs to be lifted today. You feel dead. You feel empty. You feel like you're not bearing fruit, and you need to be lifted. If you need to be lifted, if you look at your life and you're saying, I've just not got enough fruit, and the enemy's been tormenting me. I'm not, I'm not as godly as I should be. I'm not as close to the Lord as I should be, and, and I need to be lifted. I need the light. I feel God doing this right now in somebody's heart. I need to be lifted today. I want him to lift me and put me on that trellis so that my, my branch can, can, can grow and bring forth fruit. If I'm talking to you and you need to be lifted, lift your hand right now. Lift your hand. Yep, 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 yep. All over the room. If you're in this room today and you say, Pastor Kevin, I feel a pruning in my life. There's been a cutting away of some things, some friends, some relationships, some jobs, some stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm being cut away from, from some people that I was connected to or I'm being cut away from a season that I was going through. I just feel something being cut off that I thought I wanted, I thought I needed it, but we trust God that he's pruning for the purpose of increased fruit in our life. If I'm talking to you and today you know that you've been through a pruning season and you need God to begin to let fruit grow again and heal the wound, lift your hand right now if I'm talking to you. Yes, yes, my God, all over the room. Everyone stand with me, please, today. First, I want to do one thing, which is, I believe, the most important thing I can do today, and that is say to the persons, and there were four or five that I saw who lifted their hand, I want to pray with you today because I really believe Jesus wants to save people who want to become born again. You should never come to a church and hear about Jesus and not be given an opportunity to invite him into your life. So I want everyone to pray this prayer, especially those who lifted their hand. The Bible says in the book of Romans, where the heart man believeth and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Salvation is the outward declaration of an inward conviction and posture of heart. I want everyone to pray it, but especially those that lifted their hand to be saved. Let's pray this together. Dear God, come on, pray it with me. Come on, dear God, I need Jesus your son to save me from my sins. I confess that I have fallen and that I have sinned and that I have broken the law. Jesus, come into my heart. Wash me of those sins. 
be the Lord of my life because today I am trusting you as my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, by his blood, I've been forgiven. Amen. Let's give God praise for that because I know some people just prayed. I'm going to ask you to do something. We're getting ready to dismiss in just a moment. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, when everyone else turns left to go out, I want you to turn right and come to the altar. Myself and some of our pastors are going to be here. We want to make sure that you know that, number one, we're praying for you and we love you. Make sure you have a Bible if you need it. If you just gave your heart to Jesus, you don't need to hide it. You need to tell somebody. Say amen, church. Now, the second thing I want to do is pray for everyone that lifted their hand because they need to be lifted up. And they, they need to be healed from pruning. Lord, if that were you, just lift your hands up. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, without shame and fear, without regret and condemnation, we lift our hands today because many of us in this room are tired of laying on the ground without any fruit on our lives. And we want you to lift us up and shine light, your light, on our hearts so that we bear fruit in this next season of our life. And Lord, for those who've been through a pruning, I declare over them now, they will not quit because of the pain. They're coming through this healed, and the next level of their life will reveal more fruit than the previous. And in this will the Father be glorified, that in your life, sir, ma'am, you are going to bear much fruit. If you receive that, lift your hands and give God praise right now. All over this room, come on. Let's lift our hands and give God praise. More fruit, much fruit, an increase of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is coming for those who abide in you. And may we abide in you in ways deeper than we've ever known. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Go in the peace of the Lord. If you would, just starting with the front row, you can go out aisle by aisle. Just exit out. We're trying to be kind and careful. The Lord knows our heart. We love each and every one of you. I want you to go in peace, and we will see you next Sunday. We will begin our Wednesday night services in September. Be paying careful attention to the information that will be coming about that. God bless you. Go in the peace of the Lord.